Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast with your host, Neil Dunworth. And as always, I'm here with Paddy Kelly from the Munster Lions, uh, Irish Lions Supporters Club. And you might notice that my sound is a small bit better because I'm back. I'm back from the wilderness. I was in a place called Old Head in Lewisburg, County Mayo, just past Westport um, for the last couple of days. And... Uh, yeah, didn't have access to decent internet, didn't have access to anything. So it was it was needs must when when the podcast recording was being done. So um I'm delighted to be back here in front of my decent setup again. Uh well Paddy, how have you been over the last few days? And I haven't spoken to you since before the United game. But uh what we're gonna do is we're just gonna forget that one even happened and we're gonna go straight on to a better a better talking point of the of the Crystal Palace game. Before we do that. How are you doing and how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm still flabbergasted with everything that's going on. Just when we get a bit of a bonus, the teams around us start picking up points. And, you know, I think, I think it's uh, the hope. The hope is the killer. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know that it's, uh, it could be a long goodbye and it could be relegation. But the hope, when you're getting up your hopes and you win a match and then, Bam, Bournemouth win last night, and it's just, it just seems to happen every time. We're either we're up or we're down. There's no, <laughs> there's no yeah. consistency of it, you know. Absolutely. But um, I'm, I look, we've we've three games left. We're, we're still, uh, until it's mathematically impossible, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll hope for the best. Um. I am buoyant. I'm. 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 Uh, I'm very happy with how they played yesterday. Um, I think there was a lot of positives. Is you know I was in. I had to go to a communion yesterday, and I was in flying form. I can tell you after the match. So um, a bit hungover today, but it was um, yeah, really good performance. Really, probably the only match since restart that I enjoyed. Um, very few um, negatives in it. Uh, yeah, we can't we can't really complain about the performance. Obviously, we can pick it apart, but um, I'm happy. Yeah, and I think that's the overarching feeling for me as well. Is uh, I'm happy with that performance. It's about three games too late, really, to be honest with you. From from what I think, you know, that team was capable of. That's a game. I, that kind of performance that they had. I would have expected that against Newcastle. I would have expected yeah. that maybe against uh, yeah against Newcastle. So maybe it's about four games too late. 
Um, didn't like all in all, we got to be honest with ourselves. Couldn't have expected much from Liverpool Wolves or United, and uh, you know this was a game that it always from the outset everybody had looked at and said we need to win this regardless of what happens. And by winning it, and I know that we've had a stroke of dismal bad luck with you know Bournemouth scoring four goals against Leicester. Like Jesus, if our goal difference wasn't bad enough, we might as well forget about goal difference now. Because uh, that's that's that was a real kick in the teeth, and then two Tridini yeah. penalties, um, on two dodgy, penalties. yes, two dodgy Tridini penalties exactly um, against you Newcastle. Think, you, you all talk about Bruno Fernandez. Go back and look at those two. They they were just uh, poor Watford. Give them two penalties. They were absolutely terrible. I was absolutely fuming sitting watching them. That's the one that kind of got me. I, I'm not too pissed off about West Ham. Uh, Bournemouth, I think that's Bournemouth's flash in the pan. They've got Man City at the weekend. And I know that they mm. have two, I think it's Southampton and Everton to come after that, which will probably be dead rubbers for Southampton and Everton. But, you know... Um, I think like, at this stage, we've we got to forget about those around us. And yeah, and just, just go out to win football matches. We have to win on Thursday because... If we, if we go into the Arsenal game knowing we need a win, I think we're in trouble. Yeah. Um, so. If we don't win on Thursday, we have to beat Arsenal. Like I can't see any other way out of it. I, I can I can see a draw Friday night. I could nearly... You talk, you talk about uh, Italia 90 when Ireland-Holland played out mm-hmm. the, the draw. You could, see, you could nearly see West Ham and, uh, and uh, Watford doing the same thing. Yeah. But... And it would suit both of them and just make it harder for us because we, we just we have to win matches and that's just the way it is. And look, we got we got our uh, we got our win yesterday, and we were worth it. We you know we were nobody could complain. We were the better side. They were they were in the game in patches, but we were definitely the better side. Absolutely. In my opinion. Yeah, and and if we are, I know you watched doing... a bit of it in, in a lot of uh, the haze you were missing some of your. Yeah, <laughs> bad you coverage. Though, I would be. I would have been goosed all together. Only I went into an absolute gentleman in a Vodafone store. I just. I had it in the back of my mind that I was going to have. I wasn't going to have enough reception on my phone. The reception on my phone was going to be poor. And I said, "Fuck it, I'll go in." And this is what Aston Villa actually means. Like number one, go away for uh, an expedition in the, in the wilderness, away from everybody. You know, no COVID, no need for social distancing because there was nobody anywhere near me, uh, except for my significant other. And fair, in fairness, to her, she put up with uh, with two soccer matches in that period of time. So, uh, <laughs> but I kind of went, you know what? I don't trust my phone. So I went in. This guy inside the Vodafone store flogged me a, a prepaid. Uh, mobile broadband thing which was actually pretty good now it, it just when it cut out it was literally like it was like a game of um what was it uh like like pong i could just see sensible, uh, uh, sensible soccer really? yeah 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 that's what it was kind of like <laughs> sensible soccer back in the old days but uh and it cut out just for, it cut out for trezeguet's second goal and for about eight or nine minutes from about the 70th minute to about the 82nd minute, all I could see was blobs running, out, running around the field. But uh, no, fair play to, to your man. He didn't want to. And you know what? It's nice to have a salesman who doesn't want to just flog you on a contract for 50 euros a month and then not tell you that it's two years. Because I used to work in that game too. I know all the tricks. <laughs> I used to work flogging phones a long time ago. So uh, fair play to him. He sorted me out. And without him, I wouldn't have been able to watch the game. But you you did mention that if we are... If we are we do have to win games, should I say. And if we are going to win games, we're going to have to take that performance that we had on Sunday. And look, we're going to have to multiply it by a factor of two or three, to be honest with you, especially against like Everton or no slouches. Ancelotti is over them. We'll talk about them in a moment. But what the good things that we did against Crystal Palace were, were very good, I thought. I thought we were very structured. We were very disciplined. Our midfield wanted to take the ball on and wanted to keep hold of the ball, which was something that we haven't been doing. It's been very much get it to Jack, get it to Douglas Louise, and then play the ball as early as you possibly can out to the wings. But I thought that John McGinn was more in the game and uh, more in yep. the game on Sunday. And, and, and it showed because he was, take, he was picking up the ball in the middle of midfield and he was running. He does a very strange thing at times, McGinn. He runs across the midfield with the ball and... 
teams don't expect you to do that. And he did that once or twice. And that's the first time that, that he's done that since, since he's, his leg break or whatever, his ankle break. And, and it, teams don't expect you to do that. And it gives you the opportunity to cut past win freeze or even if you get past the midfielder, you've broken the whole line because they shift over in unison. So it's, it's, an, it's an, art, an orthodox way of carrying the ball or at least of trying to make an opening. opening. But he did it once or twice uh, in, in that game. And that's a good, good thing to see. But our, our midfield obviously stood up and were counted against, against Crystal Palace. Obviously, your, uh, your favourite. Connor was in the team, um, a, a favorite of the show, I suppose, more so really as well, because uh, I've got good time for him, and I will, yeah. I will get him called the Bandon Beckham. It's my the Bandon Beckham. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you vouch for the fact that when when the team selection came out yesterday, I put it in our group chat that Connor equals goals, and yeah. sure enough, he delivered. The one, the one person who probably get overlooked for what happened at the weekend, and to be honest, he's my man of the match, and I would have him starting every game now, and that's Elmo. Yeah, I thought I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was fantastic when he came on against uh, Newcastle. I think he should be playing. Um, I think completely by default, the injury sustained in the warm up, Elmo starting, then Taylor getting injured just changed us completely. Mm-hmm. We looked we looked like that was our best team that we ended up with after how long did Taylor last? Twenty minutes, whatever it was. I think you know, yeah, he got he got past the drinks break anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um so from from my point of view, I think those enforced changes made us better. Um I have a lot more faith in Elmo going forward and his crossing is good, his passing is good, he retains the ball. I'd have him in there. I'd have, him, I'd have him starting now, regardless of what happens with any, anyone recovering from injury. You know, even, even Gilbert, if he's fully fit, you know, that experienced head, you could hear him talking on the pitch as well, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, you had been listening. Like, I've been trying to watch the match without the, the singing because the singing can be very off-putting and they've got it at the wrong time and all that kind of stuff. So to listen as well, you know, when I'm watching another match, I would put on the singing because it, it, I find it very hard to watch a match without fans. But I, I would take great interest to see who's talking on the pitch, whose voice you can hear. Now you can hear John Terry, you can hear Dean Smith, but you can you, you mostly hear Tyrone Mings and Pepe Reina on the pitch. But when Elmo came on yesterday, you could hear him. You know, even when the ball is nowhere near him, you could hear him. He, he's he's a leader. Um, I thought he played very well. Um, I, I would have him in for the rest of the games just for his experience and like he didn't put a foot wrong. Paddy, who had the most passes out of all of the Villa players yesterday? Um, you know, Neil, you're the man for the stats. It probably is Elmo, is it? It's Elmo. Elmo had 50 passes yesterday, <laughs> yeah. And then when you look at it, you had Jack and, and Connor, Connor Horan who had 43 each. But the the biggest thing that I think for that, it, that that I saw with that is Neil Taylor had 19 passes. Obviously, the game and this is what I'm getting at here that the game plan here was was uh, was well laid out by Dean Smith. So Neil Taylor had, had uh, 19 passes and Matt Target at 18. So Neil Taylor went off in the 37th minute and Matt, Matt Target came on. So it's it's actually even stranger that Target had less passes even though he was on <laughs> for more time. Yeah. Um. But this is why I'm getting at here is that Elmo. Uh, I think the ball, it was it was a concerted effort to keep the ball away from Zaha number one, and um, and it worked because Zaha was very very frustrated. He only had thirty passes himself in the whole game. Uh, didn't have a lot. Of, didn't have a lot of luck down that left hand side. And it was interesting. Yeah. I, plus, I, he, he switched wings as well. I, I saw at one stage, he, even my, my son who's fifteen commented on it that he wasn't getting any joy and he switched across. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think that you're right in that. And he switched across for about 20 minutes. And I think then Townsend came on at one stage. I think he might have switched across at halftime. And then Andres Townsend came in, came on, and then he played down that left wing again afterwards. And Zaha went back out. But um, the the st- I, I tweeted out yesterday um, a heat map of where Elmo's position started and I was looking at it for ages I was trying to figure it out and it was only when I went back and I looked at the amount of touches and, the, and, and where the touches that people like Zaha people like uh, like Taylor and, and, and Target had on the field and 
the what it looked like was that the the mo of the left hand side of the field was to get on top of Zaha quickly. Don't let him get a run in behind you, and don't especially don't let him get ahead of steam on you so that he can cut in uh, cut into you. But let him try and maybe beat you around the outside if you're if you're going to allow him do that uh, on the on the the uh, as a left back because. Neil Taylor and Matt Target's starting points were on the halfway line or even above it at times. So, and Elmo's was okay. very far back. It was maybe about halfway back in the, you know, behind the halfway line again. So it was a very deep position from Elmo. It was a very high position from the left backs. And these are the nuances, I suppose, that look, as a, as a football fan, when you're looking at it, you're going, oh yeah, sure, I played football up until I was 24 or 25 or 30 or 35 or 45 or whatever. You know, there's a fan demographic to They've played football at all levels and so on. And like, it's these nuances are the reason that people play in the Premier League. These are why when Matt Taggart comes on, you go, Asher, Jesus, he's a left back. Surely his job is just to stop that other bollocks from getting the ball down the line and crossing it in. That's why Richard O'Keefe has a, fl- a clipboard and flicking back, back and forth to show him his starting yeah. positions, where you should be from corners and stuff like that. And these nuances are fantastic. And it's, it's just interesting to see it. But it worked. It worked for once. And, and I haven't looked at any of those starting point heat maps and stuff like that or the areas of the field that they've, been, they've covered the most. But it played into it, it must be something like that. And I'm actually, once this season is finished, I'm going to try and do a, uh, an analytical analysis of, of Dean Smith as well and, and how he set up his players and have some stats and facts to actually back it up. But it goes to show that Matt Target spends his time crossing the ball in from the byline all year long. And El Mohamedy and Freddie Gilbert have spent their time, at, just as Alan Hutton did last year, crossing their ball in from deeper. And it's a more yeah. of a kind of a raking ball from further out in the field that, uh, that kind of favours, like a lot of them will go into the goalkeeper's hands, but it's the ones that are crossed in perfectly like Elmo did yesterday that uh, they will cause exactly. havoc. So it's, it's interesting. And I think that that was a big factor that, that, uh, that played into our hands yesterday was the fact that our game plan for Zaha worked. Yeah, it did. He, he was... Um... He was anonymous for a lot of the game. He didn't get into it. When he did get into it, I thought he was a bit, um, I don't know whether the emotions of what, what went on earlier in the day got to him. He cut a very frustrated figure. So, you know, um, we, as you say, you know, we did, we did do a good job on him. And it must have been kind of worrying when, when they do get injuries that it just proves that, you know, the, the homework is done behind the scenes and, when Target came on, he knew what he had to do. When Elmo was in there, he knew there was possibly a switch. And they were fine. They, they contained him for the whole game. He, he never looked threatening, really. Um, you know, they're not a bad side at all. And, you know, we made them look ordinary yesterday, I thought. Yeah. But, for, but for maybe, you know, the, that 10 minutes before we scored, actually, at the end of the first half, they came into it. And, the, you know, but I, I, actually, I actually said... Jesus, I hope we get a, we get to halftime here at Nil All and regroup because they've actually start getting into it, and then we scored. They always say it's the best time to score. It was yesterday for sure. It completely changed the team talk at halftime. Anyway, absolutely, and we always tend to, tend to concede goals uh, just we before halftime yeah. and five minutes before halftime as well. So it's nice to be on the other end of it for once. Uh, yesterday's game wasn't without its scares. Um, Sacco had the ball in the net in the first 10 minutes, uh, ruled yeah. out by VAR, I thought harshly. Um, you know, f- I disagree. <laughs> well, you, I know you're, you're going to say because Tyrone Mings, <laughs> Tyrone exactly. Mings penalty yeah. against that. Exactly. So if, that, if that's, that was more of a handball than Tyrone Mings hitting it with the yeah. shoulder blade. Mm. So I actually don't know, and I don't know if the referees know what a handball is either. Because if we go back even further to when we played Arsenal earlier in the season and that shot going on goal and your man lifted his arm, that, that mm-hmm. ball struck the Arsenal player. Was it from, from, what's his name? From Allen, was it? I remember. It was Socrates. It seems like, like an eternity ago. Yeah. But he struck the ball exactly where that handball was yesterday. And yeah. he diverted the ball around the post. That, if, that, if that goal was disallowed yesterday for handball... That was a penalty against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So, what goes around comes around, they say. But I, I don't know when 
your shoulder becomes handball. But that yesterday was a little bit lower than where Tyrone Mings struck his shoulder. So I don't know. When in in the days now where they're finding your armpit offside, yeah, who knows? Who knows what the they're going to come with? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's so convoluted now, and I think that like everything since, like since they got three decisions wrong, Bruno Fernandez and uh, and two other ones wrong, um, and you know they're everything has been questioned and everything is, is, has a valid question mark around it. You know, you mentioned about... And rightly so. When you, you look at what, what's at stake here, yeah. the difference between us staying up and going down is we get to spend a season in the Premier League with financial fair play potentially aborted. And that gives us carte blanche to go and spend like a Champions League team. If, if what they say is that they, they will invest when they can... Now is the time to invest, not in the championship. So, you know, you're looking at fine lines between the VAR decisions we have, you know, staying up mm. or going down. You know, if, if that gap gets any bigger, obviously we can't blame VAR for, for everything. You know, we're, we're in the position we're in because we're not good enough. But when, when it comes down to it, if, if we go down by a point or two, we'll be looking back at those decisions going, yeah, there was games where we threw it away late on or whatever or just before half time but also there was games where like that Arsenal game where you know they had players encroaching in the box while every other game people encroaching in the box the penalty was ordered to be retaken it didn't happen against us you know there's a litany of things like that that have gone against us that Bruno Fernandes penalty force force goal changes everything Mings isn't having his brain fart up at the edge of their box and giving the ball away because he wouldn't be that high up the pitch at nil all Everything changes the game. So, um, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. <No>. Uh, <laughs> went off on a tangent. But yeah, the, it, oh yeah, we, we spoke about VAR being, being so important. It is important. They have to get it right. And it amazes me that they're still persistent with this guy sitting in Stockley Park. Let the referee make his own decision. They looked at Bruno Fernandez's tackle once there was literally seconds between him awarding the penalty and VAR saying yeah. it was fine. Yet they looked at Jack Grealish's yesterday about 15 times yeah. from how many different angles. Which wasn't like, the penalty. That, it wasn't the penalty. No, no, definitely not. Um, there was contact. It was very hard to see. It looked like Jack stood on him. Now, it looked like uh, Jack, you know, <laughs> I won't say acted, but bear in mind that he was carrying that ankle injury, so it, it may it may have stung a little bit if he went because he rolled the ankle on Thursday night. So mm-hmm. it may it may have hurt that way when he stood on it. And I'm not making excuses. He, he went down a bit easy, and that's it was never a penalty. But uh, with regards to the goal, I, I'm happy with that decision. I, I don't think there's anything controversial about it. If that's what they're given all season, then it was definitely handball. Yeah, I agree. Like the. <laughs> Do you know, like, I, I remember when, when Grealish went down for the penalty. I I didn't think it was a penalty uh, in, in real time. And then when he gave it, I went, oh, Jesus, this is brilliant. This is, they're really making up for um for the Fernandez penalty. And then they, they overturned it. And I went, fuck it. You know, they took, for, they took forever to overturn it. So it was, only, it was only when the decision was given and then the length of time between the decision being made and the decision being, it being found to have been incorrect that was my biggest problem with VAR I actually thought that the handball from Samata when Samata tried to square the ball and hit Scott Dan I know his hand was down by his side but yeah. you've seen those given like if he's in the wall I've, you've seen those given when a guy jumps in the wall and uh, the ball, ball strikes his hand you, you've seen those given for sure and yeah. that was clearly it clearly came off his hand Clearly, we did have one, our, one ourselves later on in the game as well, which they only really showed half a replay of. Um, was it Douglas Louise's yeah. hand? It Douglas off. Louise, yeah. But yeah. they're saying now there's no such thing as ball to hands, so the, the two of them were penalties. But who knows? Who can second guess what they're, what they're looking at at this stage? Exactly. Because the problem is there's too many cooks, there needs to be one cook. Yeah, there needs to be if, if there needs to be a guy sitting in Stockley Park, he needs to say. Sorry, Mr. Atkinson, I think you should go and have a look at that again. 
and it's yeah, on like, the screen. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, like like yeah. the TMO does in rugby. It's like I, yeah. I would recommend that you might look at that tackle again. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's you know they can stop it in mid play and say uh, next time the ball goes out of play, you probably need to have a look at that. So let him make up his own mind and you know yeah. be the master of his own destiny. But there's there's far too many cooks and too many idiots making decisions. Too many people to hide behind as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thankfully, and they do. Go on, go on. No, no, you go on. No, well, they do. They, 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 and they protect. They overprotect them. Like I know, I said <laughs> again in our group. I was lying awake on Thursday night. I was fuming after that penalty, um, that Man United got, and I lay in bed at whatever it was, two o'clock in the morning, wondering, did John Moss sleep well on uh, Thursday night? Yeah. I bet he slept like a baby. But that's you know, it's a huge decision to give against a team in the relegation zone. And they didn't even look at it properly. You know, a quick look at it. Oh, yeah, there was contact. That, <laughs> that was the worst decision of them all. Mm. Of any VAR all season. And everybody said it. Absolutely everybody. Even Peter Schmeichel. The only one that didn't agree, and he kind of changed his tune eventually, was Gary Neville. But what did we expect from Gary Neville? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a strange one. And even Patrice Evra. <laughs> was that Ray Charles who was doing VAR tonight? <laughs> You know, yeah. fair play to him. He's a man of integrity. You have to say these things, you know. It's, mm. Tell it like it is. But look, as I said before, we're in the relegation zone because we haven't been good enough all season. We haven't. And because you're not good enough, you don't get the look. So call it a bit of luck on Sunday. Call it what you like. As far as I'm concerned, it shouldn't have counted if, bear in mind, what they did for the rest of the season. Mm. That's my rant over about VAR. <laughs> That's fine, Paddy. That's fine. I won't charge you for the for the therapy for that one. It's grand. <laughs> well, thankfully, we didn't need uh, VAR. We didn't need, uh, and it didn't come back to bite us in the arse like it has so much because we had a very unlikely source. Well, and look, we got to be fair as well to 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 Trezeguet in the fact that neither of the two of us have spoken absolutely brilliantly about him. Um, I think before the before the project restart, we said he needed a run of games that he could be something. And about three games into that, we were like, "Oh my Jesus, I can't see him play for Villa again," you know, because he yeah. hadn't been performing. He'd been running around like a headless chicken, but it all it all seemed to come together for him. And uh, over the last two games, and I think he's been solid. And look, he got his just resort, just desserts with with a couple of goals. Um, against uh, the the two goals, should I say, against Crystal Palace? First goal I thought was an absolutely brilliantly taken goal. Uh, um, yeah, we, people are talking about that that volley enough. What a technique! <laughs> like, you, yeah, you hit those and, and they go. And like, I I was given out about Mane. I was given out about Pulisic, and now we got one. Uh, you know, at back post volley. And although, even though it went low and across the goalkeeper, it didn't go in after. He had one. Of, he had one himself a couple of weeks ago that went over the bar, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And yeah. I, know he, I suppose when we look back at it with uh, with less disgruntled eyes, he's had a couple of chances. Um, you know, the, I think it was Dan Bardell or it was uh, Greg, Greg Evans that said on, on the eighteen seventy four podcast they mentioned that. He scored that exact goal against Leicester. He scored that exact goal against Wolves, and he scored that exact goal against uh, against Liverpool as well. So, like, yeah. he's that that's his speciality. They're coming at the back post, which is great because it's an unbelievably difficult skill, and, and and he did fantastically. And his finish for the for the second goal was brilliant as well because how many times would fellas try and lift it over the goalkeeper there as opposed to try and poke it under them? And when you lift it Absolutely. over the goalkeeper, it could hit off his chest or get off his head or anything like that but yeah I thought I thought I'd run away from him to be honest but yeah fairness to him he got he just stretched enough you know to tow poker past the keeper Um, you know I hold my hands up I gave the guy an awful lot of stick over the last few weeks and I, I think it was deserved I don't think he was putting in the shift that he should have Um, I thought he did well against Manu I thought he put himself about without any post you know you know finished product uh, but you know did well yesterday, you know, can't fault him. I say he'd probably be giving him man of the match if Elmo wasn't playing, but I just thought Elmo was fantastic. And maybe he gets a bit of a buzz playing with Elmo as well. They're two good buddies, you know, they're international colleagues, you know. Who knows? You know, we're not in the we're not on the training ground with them, so maybe maybe we've uh, 
maybe we found something there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even even simple fact of, and you might call me stupid for saying this, and most people would call me stupid for a lot a lot less, but it must be some advantage to be able to speak two guys to be able to speak Arabic up and down that line, and a fullback not having no <laughs> have a clue what they're saying to each other. Not a, like, let's say if it was two French guys or two German guys, you might have basic level of French or German, but there aren't, you know, like Patrick Van Arnhold. Now here comes, someone's going to message me and say, well, actually his father is Muslim or something like that. So he probably has Arabic. I don't know. I've done no, I've done no um, study into his background, but you know, the guys that they had there, um, like if the two boys are speaking Arabic to each other, it must be very difficult to understand it. You don't have any inkling as to what's going to happen, I suppose. Yeah. So that's something. And that comes back into play as well. When, we, when um, who was it that was talking uh, earlier on in the year? He was on one of the podcasts. He said that Douglas Louise hadn't, a clue, like people that were, they were talking to Douglas Louise and he hadn't a clue what, what they were saying to him. And, and we were saying that maybe the, the lockdown has allowed him to improve his English. And now he actually English, understands yeah. what people are saying to him because yeah. he's been fantastic as well. But before we move on to other players, I think it's fair that we have a bit of a Trezeguet moment because like, we can look at him running around and, and, and a lot of Villa fans do. And, and I think we're as guilty as other clubs of... Yet we don't, we don't verbalise it in a way. Like You hear Man United say, he, he doesn't play in the United way which actually gives me the scratches. I, I get itchy when I hear that because it's just, it's one of the most, it's one of the most patronizingly arrogant things that you could ever say. But I think, I think yeah. most clubs will have that. And, you know, we see guys there and we go, no, he's, I suppose, really not playing the Villa way. The, the, the phrase that people use, he shit take him off. That's usually what, <laughs> what, what Villa fans would say. But he had a yeah. fantastic game. He had, um, Obviously, he had three shots, two of them were on target, uh, and two of them were, on, were goals. He had the highest, uh, it is the, the giant highest amount of dribbles on the team. He had three dribbles, three successful dribbles. Um, Paddy, who had the most, who attempted the most tackles on, uh, for Aston Villa? Actually, who, attempt, who attempted the most tackles on the field yesterday? You guessed it. It was Mahmoud Trezeguet. <laughs> exactly, Jeez, and gosh. of those, uh, of those, he won back the ball three times, and he had a further two interceptions. Further two interceptions that came from errant passes um, that he intercepted. So the guy was fantastic in in um, in, de- in defensive in his defensive duties as well as everything else. He had uh, he had forty five touches, which was the third most on the team, the fourth most on the team. Um, you know, so he got involved in the game. And, and look, the statistics speak for themselves. He was up and down the field in a defensive capacity. He got two goals. He had lots of touches. He had lots of passes. And, and he had lots of interceptions. So he was rewarded for his effort yesterday. And uh, fair play to him. And as I say, he was going up against uh, Jordan Ayew, who didn't exactly have a fantastic game himself, former villain. But still, um, but still, you know, he had to do his job and he had to do what he had to do and, and fair play to him. And look, we give everybody credit. You have to be objective. You know, you have to be objective when you're speaking about these things. Um, and long may it continue. And please let him be the guy who fires us to safety because somebody is going to need to stand up and be a hero. So why can't it be him? Um, other standout performers for yourself, Paddy, uh, that you found in that game? Um, I thought McGinn was better. Um, I think it's the first time we've saw his effervescent self, albeit still not back to where he was. Uh, I thought Connor did quite well. I thought Douglas Louise again, while he didn't have as much to do, was was solid. Um, can't fault the backs. Uh, the Pepe Reina did well and pulled off a couple of saves. Yeah. Um, Samasa, a little bit disappointed with. Um, like when we lose the ball, I don't think he does enough. Now, I, I, I don't like saying that because the man, the manager could be telling him to preserve his energy for, for when it's needed because these things are spoken about in dressing rooms. Um, I thought Jack was much better. I thought it's the best game Jack played since the restart. Um, and then Trezeguet, you have said it all at this stage, you know. But um, yeah, all in all, all in all. Can't complain. I suppose the subs were late enough coming on, so 
there was no uh, no well apart from my target that is but uh, yeah um, can't complain There's, with with the exception of that little thing about Samata I thought when he lost the ball he could work a little bit harder he doesn't run across the line trying to break the, uh, to get at the full back you know when, when the ball's been passed about and that that annoys me a little bit and Trezeguet has been guilty of that in the past but in the last two games he seems to have found his feet and found his work rate so long may continue and if he's if he's the guy that uh, fires us <laughs> to safety I'll, uh, I'll gladly get his name on the back of my short next year <laughs> 100% absolutely I, th- I think we're all in that uh, in that bracket um, you mentioned a couple of guys there that played well Carter Horan made, made the game tick um, for Villa uh, mm-hmm. Just look at his statistics again. He had uh, 43 overall passes, which was number two in the team after um, El Mahamedy. He had um, 54 touches of the ball, which was number number three after Elmo and, and Grealish. Um, from what I can see here, I don't think Conor Oren actually gave the ball away. So I think it looks like he had 100% pass rating. Open to interpretation there as well, so I'm sure that somebody will tell me that I might be wrong there. Um, of all his passes, he even mastered the throwing, which is something that that uh, you know that not a lot of our players uh, can say that they've done. <laughs> he took three throws, <laughs> and I think that's just uh, it was just he got there and he was kind of going fuck it, let's push the pressure on this one because uh, you can see the fullback was coming for it and he was like no, let's just get the ball back into play. We got these guys in the ropes, and that's what I like about about Connor. That's what I like about him that he's uh, he's got this this kind of trigger switch. He's like he's like a Jack Russell Terrier playing with a tennis ball, or not even playing with a tennis ball because that's a bit, bit derogatory of him. But it's like as if he's playing with a bone. He's not going to stop until he actually gets through it. He's got this kind of will to win and that's come from when he's been, you know, come up through the leagues, I suppose. Uh, and, you know, you need that. And I mentioned it on the whole cast when I was there. You need that to have that somewhere in your team. That kind of steel, that kind of... I'm not going to say never say die because you don't become a premiership footballer if you're, you know, if you, if you like to lose. Well, you shouldn't become a premiership footballer. But you can see it in his face. He's a bit... He's a bit Bold is what we call it in Ireland. You know, he's mm. you saw him against Leeds last year. He wasn't he wasn't afraid to go fighting with a fella and stuff. You need that small little bit of a, you know, a bit of temper, and uh, yeah. to be able to throw it at, at your own players as well. And 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 there's a lot of these little intangibles they kind of bring in. But I I mentioned as well that I think that it's 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 all encompassing for this team that the wingers allow the central midfielders to dictate the pace of play. Whereas if the wingers are out of position, the central midfielders get dragged out and then they're, they're not able to dictate it. Therefore then the, the issue then stems back into our fullbacks, which at times target has been victimized on the left-hand side. Kanza and Gilbert were victimized on the right-hand side at the start of the, at the start of the year. So now we're getting a good, uh, a good balance in midfield um, this game was the first game I could safely say whereby our positioning, uh, our positioning of our wingers was fantastic, uh, almost through the whole game, and um, you know we, you could see it in how composed our two our two uh, fullbacks were as well. So, uh, and that's down to you know I suppose maybe having a metronome in there like Conor Horan, and, and and it takes it takes the pressure off Douglas Louise to be that guy that just keeps the the continuity player, should I say, that that keeps the ball yeah. moving in midfield. So. Well. I've, I've absolutely no statistics or facts to back this up, but I feel when when we play that system and Connor is kind of backing up Jack, that Jack has more space because they worry about you know obviously the one of a left foot that Connor has, so that doubling up on Jack doesn't happen, and he just seems to have the ball on his feet longer. Mm-hmm. As I said, I've no statistics to back that up, but that's just something that I notice when the two of them are on the pitch. So. Connors and my starting team, no, no matter what, you know, you're saying he, he's a bold head. If you you look at the the subs bench anytime Connors on it, you know, the the they might flash the camera in, and you know, you'd see two fellas laughing. Connor wouldn't be the fella laughing. Connor would be the fella who's playing the game in his head, itching to get on the pitch, mm. and that's that's just the way he comes across. And I think if we if we had a few more like him, that you know would get stuck in. You know, for what he makes up in talent, he's got an amazing heart. And, you know, that's what I accused Trezeguet and 
El Ghazi and not have it in the past. You have to have heart. You have to have desire. And he has it in abundance. And I think Jack has it in abundance. And so, and Luis has proved that he had it. McGinn, as we know, has it. So there's plenty of them there. You know, Ming's first couple of faults, he has it. He's a leader. Mm. Um, you know, we have, we have the talent there to get us out of this. We possibly are too far behind. I'm trying as hard as I can to be glass half full at this stage. But I just know that we're one defeat away from, from throwing it all away. So I'm finding it hard to get too excited. I do feel a lot better having got three points. I think it was badly needed. Um, but I'd be a lot happier if we get another three on Thursday night. Absolutely. I think we'll move on towards Thursday night because uh, you know, we've waxed lyrically about, about some players there as well. Uh, and you know a lot has been said about a lot of the players there. Reina, Elmo, Connor, McGinn, Jack, Trezeguet. They were standout players, I think. And, and I suppose a little... A little bit of uh, of kudos needs to go to Ezri Kanza's game. That was one of the more assured performances. He is a centre half, so I think everybody knows that. And yeah. uh, you know, being pushed in there very late in the day um, helped him out. I think as well. Interestingly, do we know who came onto the bench? Oh, it was Jed Steer. Jed Steer came yeah, onto the bench. Two goalkeepers. Two goalkeepers. And there you go. <laughs> Five fucking subs. What's the fucking point? You know. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of a bit annoyed when I. Uh... When I heard it, because they said they announced, obviously, I, I was on the fan wall, so I got a different commentary to everyone else. But they did announce that Jed Steer was a, was promoted to the bench, and I kept thinking, are they, will, they, will they put Jed Steer up front? <laughs> you know, surely, in this day and age, you've got Indiana Vasilev sitting there, or, or you've got an, Tarek Wright or somebody. You know, <laughs> just hey, Louis beyond Barry. belief, that Louis Barry. It just it just didn't make sense that we do a goal game. But anyway, you know, our, our squad mm. is tight, so we've we've exactly. been down that road with the five substitutions five substitutions. Um killed us against Liverpool and Chelsea, not so much against Man City but or Man United, but um thankfully the teams even Arsenal don't have a big enough squad to really do the damage off the bench. So Hopefully that won't hopefully. be a factor in the next three games. Yeah, and hopefully Everton play Alex. It will be up front. And that's a great segue on to the Everton <laughs> game that we have on Thursday night. We're not going to spend too much time in this because, uh, look, all these games are basically like the, the the form book is out the window with them at the moment. And, and it's it's just nearly impossible to, to even preview them. But Everton are on a bit of a slump. At the moment, I think it's fair to say they're drawing. They won uh, against Leicester. They've drawn and they've lost. You know games that they that they shouldn't have won or that they should they shouldn't have lost. Really, um, I suppose some of the things that are in our favour is their backline has been pretty decimated. I think really, you know, Yerry Mina is going to be out. Mason Holgate looks like he's going to be out. Um, players like Fabian Delph, I think we might be slightly familiar with him, although he's probably going to not want to play I wouldn't play if I was him I would say um, put it that way uh, <laughs> he's out as well and uh, you know obviously we've got some doubtful players as well Courtney Howes uh, and Neil Taylor so it will be interesting to see what kind of a bench Dean Smith puts out uh, even even on Thursday but it'll also be interesting to see what uh, what team that Ancelotti puts out like they're still going yeah. to have players in there like uh, Michael Keane uh, Sidibe, Digne, um, they're obviously going to have the England goalkeeper, who I don't think should be England goalkeeper, and Jordan Pickford, you know, he let one in under his legs um, yeah. the last day. Midfield is going to comprise uh, something along the lines of Tom, if, like you're going to have Tom Davis in there, you're going to have Gilfie Sigurdsson, I would imagine, in there because of injuries. Uh, Alex Awobi is going to be in there. Richardson, you know, they've, they've their, their team is, is, there's a lot of injuries there, and, and you know, I, I just don't know what way they're they're going to line up. But most likely, if it's going to be Ancelotti, it's going to be in a four four two. So uh, I suppose we have to imagine that that's the tactic they're going to play. What are your feelings on it? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of um, it's strange because they they kind of use Walcott and um, Leighton Baines. Oh, yeah. As kind of nearly wing backs as well, you know. So it's um, they, they've mixed it up a little bit as well over the weeks. I haven't seen too much of them. They they lack a bit of firepower up front. I think Richardson has gone off his game. Um, Calvert Lewin, while he, 
he did get a couple of goals recently, didn't he? Um, from what I remember, mm-hmm. um, I could be completely wrong, but uh, he like he looked be- it, the, the couple of games I did see, he looked better than he did earlier in the season. I thought he was quite poor, and uh, he was poor against us when we played them earlier in the season. Um, you know, we've we've got at them already. We've beaten them already. Um, we need to beat them. <laughs> so I think regardless of what they put out. I can't see the team. Well, I'd be disappointed if the team, our team, changes in any way from the team we had after uh, Neil Taylor went off. I think that's our starting team for for this week mm. and probably for the rest of the season, barring any injuries. Um, you know, as you said, they're missing a few. They're still strong. Like Yeri Mina, while well, he's taken a while to adapt. You know, he's obviously a decent player. Michael Keane, another international, maybe shouldn't be. And Lucas Dinier is a good player as well. See Gordson, can ha- he can blow hot and cold, yeah. tear you apart one day and go missing the next. Hopefully, uh, himself and Walcott go missing on Thursday. Um, I think you know if we show a bit of fighting spirit, we might put them on the back foot. They don't have an awful lot on the bench. They're similar to us. They've got a, mm-hmm. a tight squad. Um, you know, I looked at their bench against uh, against Wolves. You know, there's there's not exactly household names in there, but that's not to say, you know, Moise Keane can't come on and destroy us. In the, <laughs> but yeah. you never know. You just never know with Everton. Um, I used to always say about Everton, they were always better when they're on the telly. But they're on the telly every game now, so. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I expect us to win the game. I just, I, I just think our heart and desire, and the fact that they're already on their holidays is what's making me think that. Um, you know, they've they're they're not going to finish any higher than what they are. There's no fear of them getting into the European positions. I would imagine, you know, that they're they're thinking about next season already, and. Uh, I'm hoping that for that reason alone we get at them the same way as we we got our Palace, yeah. Um, at the weekend, but then again, you never know. I think that this team is going to be extremely attackable. You know, they're going to have someone like like well, they've played Anthony Gordon midfield. They're looking to see what they have in him. Tom Davies is in there as well. You know, as you mm. mentioned, Walcott, Baines, um, they're their outlet guys. Neither of the two of them are the right side of of age you know and losing Yerry Mina must be a massive blow for them it just it just has to be a huge 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 blow who's going to anchor the middle of their defense Um, they brought in Seamus Coleman the last day and kind of playing a makeshift I, I don't even know who went in center half uh, when Seamus Coleman came on um, at that stage because they, they brought on like they, they've got kids in the bench as well the same as ourselves they brought in a fellow called Jared Braithwaite Brant Waite Sorry, um, he came on for Leighton Baines. Um, you know they yeah. do have some. I think. In, I think in the bit in the bit I saw of it, they switched to a more focused four four two at that stage. Yeah. Um, I would imagine Seamus Coleman went in centre half alongside Mike, uh, alongside Michael Keane because they would have had Dinia and uh, and Leighton Baines and Leighton, maybe yeah. two centre half or two yeah. the two uh, right and left. But either way, they're going to have to find this another centre half somewhere. Uh, to play there mm-hmm. because they're they're short and is he definitely out? Is, is Mina definitely out? Yeah, Mina got injured. Yeah, it, it's uh, it looks like he's going to be out. Um, yeah, so that it looks like he's going to be out because he got injured. He had to come off injured. Yeah. So what I'm uh, reading here just says he's doubtful. So yeah, yeah, I know it's not nice wishing injury on people, but you know we sometimes when you're in our situation, you're going to need that bit of luck and. Yeah. To see players missing out, you know, it's obviously not a serious injury. It's only doubtful, so um, you're not you're not going to risk someone at this stage of the season either when you've got nothing to play no. for. Your so. your big your big prized centre half, Colombian international. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Uh, why would you do it? Um, yeah, look, I suppose it's uh, it, it's he, he yeah he got had a quad strain, you know, so. Um, Right. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, who knows? Miracles yeah, of okay. the miracles of science these days. 
um, might might get him back. But I would imagine, like, look, either way, I think it still kind of opens up and gives heart to to this team, to this Villa team, that we can have a go at them. You know, they've spent an awful lot of money as well uh, over the last few years. They've brought in people like, as I say, Andrew Gomez, Bernard, Delph, Yuri Mina himself. Um, the, the guy, uh, is the Cameroonian guy, Gabberman, uh, who's obviously out injured as well, but they've spent money on this team. Richardson, Wobi, Wobi cost something like twenty-eight million. Like, mm. like what are we doing when you're paying twenty-eight million for Wobi? You know, yeah. saying that I'm probably after jinxing ourselves, jinxing by by having a crack at him. But um, he's a big, strong player, and his his uncle is JJ Okacha, so there must be <laughs> something there with him. But I'm confident yeah. as well. I would be confident that we could have a good crack off this team too. Um, that we could uh, like if we get a win against against Everton, and you know Watford and Watford and and, and West Ham draw, uh, Bournemouth gets spanked by by Man City. Fuck it all, bets are off. Then I'll tell you, you know yeah. we are looking at roller coaster season for the next two games after that, which would be fantastic. Um, I personally, as I mentioned before, I want West Ham to win. I want West Ham to beat Watford. I do. I do as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And have a straight duke out, straight fight between ourselves and Watford. Um, and by the time and by the time we play West Ham, they'll have nothing to be worried about. Yeah, that's, hopefully that's my, th- that's my thinking on it anyway. Yeah, whether it works out that way, you know, if if other teams keep winning, Jesus, if if Bournemouth <laughs> picked off Man City, which there has been a few. Look at Leicester, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen if Bournemouth beat Man City. Don't be making any promises now. You're not no, shaving. If if Bournemouth beat Man City, like I've been pretty good on on the alcoholic consumption since COVID came in. I've only <laughs> broken out once, uh, really, since COVID came in. But I don't think I'd be able to. I'd be able to stay away from the from the liquor cabinet that night if Bournemouth went on to beat Man City. Of all the teams, yeah. you know, to beat Man City would be tough going. But uh, well, I think Watford Watford having to play. Um, Man City and, and Arsenal after West Ham puts them in a catchable position for us. Yeah. So if West, like a lot of people are saying, it's a draw, it keeps it to the minute. For me, West Ham to beat Watford and then, you know, they, they've got, albeit, you know, they can have a free hit off Man City and Arsenal. They're not two fixtures I'd like to have as my last two games when I was fighting relegation. So Eddie, uh, wouldn't it be fucking excellent if we go away and we beat let's just say we beat Everton and we beat Arsenal and we're three points ahead of Watford and ourselves and West Ham can play out that that uh United, that Italian that, ninety draws Italian ninety <laughs> draw, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that uh, Ireland Ireland Holland, let's just draw so that we can knock another team out job. Oh my God! I would gladly watch ninety minutes of ninety minutes of sideways passes. I'd bring on George Boateng. He's still over the the uh, the Villa under 18s and I get him to do his party piece and pass it sideways. And I gladly watch that all day long. Um, but we can dream. I suppose we can. We can dream. dream. Yeah. The the most important thing we need to, you know, we, I know for we us need. as fans, we're looking around us, but just got to beat Everton. That yeah. is so important. You now. absolutely vital. Because if we lose, we're we're, you know, it's we're, we need miracles as it is, but needing snookers and miracles is going to be even worse again. Should we yeah. lose to Everton? So, absolutely, we've, we've got to beat them, and then have a free hit off Arsenal, and then see what happens on uh, on uh, <laughs> the last day of the season and see what position we're in. Exactly. But um, beating Everton, Bournemouth should be near enough out of it. Puts us a point behind someone, providing they don't draw, and then all bets are off, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, I'm going to go with the Villa win. Yeah, uh, I'd like to say two one to Villa, but I'm going to go one nil. I think that uh, this team are going to be predicated on not conceding, and I think that's what Dean Smith wants us to be. Is hard to beat, and I think he he liked what he saw from that back four, which will probably be the back four that will start the next day. Um. Which I think is, is harsh on Courtney House, but still, uh, I'm going to go one nil Villa, and it's going to be a bit of a, a squeaky bum, as uh, as Alex Ferguson once said. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those games whereby you're not going to need the full lot of your seat; you're just going to need the edge of it. Uh, you know, <laughs> that uh, 
because it's as I say, it's it's one of it's, we have to win. If we don't win, we're staring we're staring down both barrels. I think really. So yeah, more of the same, guys, as we saw on yeah. Sunday, and be it'll fantastic. be um it'll be edge of seat, and I think I'll have to have a few cold ones in the fridge just to keep me a bit calm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I might be the yeah. same. Well. Thanks very much, Paddy, for popping on again tonight and, and, and chatting through on this. We're going to no wrap problem. it up in a minute, guys. But before we do, as two proud Irishmen, I think it would be, I think we'd probably lose our passports if we didn't pay homage to the most famous Irish Englishman. Um, I think, <laughs> and not the most famous, but maybe, maybe the most loved Irish Englishman of, uh, of, uh, of all time to, to grace these shores. The man who taught us to stand up and puff out our chests. The man who taught us how to call in sick to work after a soccer match. Um, the man who, I suppose, really put us on, the, on, on the, the, the world map, brought us the sixth in the world, the lofty heights of number six in the world after Italian 90, Jesus Christ, um, brought players in and, and played his system of the caliber of Mick McCarthy, um, John Aldridge, Ray Houghton, and obviously, gave um, gave the likes of Steve Staunton and Paul McGrath their their birthing into into the international game. Of course, I'm talking about Big Jack Charlton passed away over a weekend. Um, can't say as I wasn't extremely disappointed the moment I heard it. And uh, you know, for everybody uh, that that ever kicked a football in Ireland since the late '80s, uh, they've always had Jack Charlton's. Um, message or his his words ringing in their ear and, and he'd be sadly forgotten but Paddy I know that you've got some memories of Jack Charlton um, you know I've seen a couple of photos of you sitting there in your, yeah. o- your Opal jersey, Opal jersey beside, yeah. beside Jack Charlton um, uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up um, quite close to where the team used to stay um, in the, the famous days leading up to match day when most of them used to skip out and Went to town before social media they used to tell everybody where they were. Um, so I, I used to spend a lot of time going up, watching them train, uh, listening to Jack talking to um, journalists and stuff in the foyer of the hotel. And it became, became a ritual. We, we'd finish school, me and my mate, my mate, with our mate Paddy, we'd get on the bus and go up to the, the hotel. And it was, you know, they were, they were glorious times. Um I was lucky enough to go to Italian 90 with my parents as a young child. It's the greatest memory of them all to be able to say you went to the first World Cup that Ireland ever qualified for. Um, the party was unbelievable. Obviously, I was too young for that party, but uh, I did have a couple towards the end of Jack's days. I was there for the last one to play off in, in Anfield against Holland, which was probably the uh, the drunkest I've ever been at an Ireland match. Um, and that was a pretty sad occasion because we knew when he came out to say goodbye that that was it. Um, but, you know, while the football wasn't pretty, he made us world beaters, as you said, to, to take to take a team of, you know, nearly had, nearly ran uh, players to onto the world stage at, at European Championships and, and, and two World Cups. Um He's, you know, he's an absolute hero here, and I think no matter what any Ireland manager does afterwards, I think Jack Charlton will 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 always have that legacy of being the man that changed Irish football. Absolutely, and, uh, I think he's going yeah. to be the barometer uh, forever, forever to come, and um, not only just for, I suppose, the success that we had, but the togetherness that he was able to bring as a man manager. The yeah. The approach he took will like you'll never see an approach that he he would take again. It was a great, uh, it was a great story. I can't remember like all these brilliant stories that came out about that 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 group of players over the ten years. All, all those even the two teams that he he formed, I suppose, over those ten years. And um, there's some fantastic stories, like the great story about him. He used to always pay for a round of drinks with a check in a pub because he knew that the pub would never cash it and they'd just frame it. Like that's that's a fantastic story. Like that that kind of cuteness, you know. And yeah. um, 
the other the one about uh, David Connolly. Uh, I look up David Connolly in in. I think it was. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but uh, look up David Connolly brought a lady back to to his room when he shouldn't have. If you can look up that story, it's quite good. And and also the other one about the time that he brought all the players in and uh, reprimanded them all and uh, wanted to go to the FAI to find them their game check because they didn't invite him to the pub after a training <laughs> session. Um, but yeah, he yeah. was a real character. He's a great guy. And I listened to a fantastic, actually, uh, I'm going to send it on to you afterwards, Paddy. I listened to a fantastic um, interview he did on Desert Island Discs. Uh, he was discussing about um, about uh, songs that he liked and so on. There was quite a lot of Irish songs, a lot of Dubliners and Christa Berg yeah. and, and all that stuff in there. But he was discussing about songs he liked, but obviously he was talking about football as well. And he gives really candid interviews about uh, his relationship with Bobby Charlton, his relationship with his mother and father, um, what, how he got into playing football and you know his time in the army and stuff like that. So it was a really good interview. Yeah. If anybody hasn't found it, hasn't seen it or listened to it, I, I would definitely recommend it because it's, it's a throwback to a bygone era and it's from a man who had no filter and just told it like it was. So, yeah. you know, big, big Jack would always be fondly remembered in these aisles for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, and he traveled around the country so much that there's, there's very few people in Ireland that don't have a story about meeting Jack, be it out fishing in the West of Ireland yeah, or that's where I saw just him. arriving. Yeah. Arriving for uh a pub meal somewhere along the line and I know my own local club here park for long before I was involved with them he turned up at a they were only after playing a game and he turned up in the pub for a point and uh, ended up signing for them even if he was in his late 50s at that stage but it's brilliant it's a, a tale that goes down in folklore Um, they never got the signing on for him back from the Clare League at the time <laughs> but uh I'd say they held on to it for the crack. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh yeah, like in our household, um my dad my father's a a hugely avid uh river fisherman and we had two videos at home of go fishing with Jack Charlton. And uh <laughs> yeah, so I used to watch those uh, watch those uh just basically to hear Jack Charlton talking. Um yeah. but uh never really took up fishing myself. Kind of no. eels, that's about it. But uh no, never. No, I don't. I think, I think you can't. You can't pay the man a higher compliment than than saying that he took our country from a footballing dark place and a financial dark place to yeah. a much better place where people were spending, recession. having fun, took us out of recession into a boom, and I put my hand on my heart and say totally down to that period between 1988 and 1994 when we got to two World Cups, European Championships, and the the crack and fun to be here in Ireland when all that was going on was great crack. It really was. And uh, to do it with a smile on his face and a great story, always a great story. And uh, yeah, may you rest in peace with nothing but fond memories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to borrow a phrase from Jack Charlton, I think it would be fitting to finish on this, is um, that, you know, that's all we want Villa to do. We want Villa to put him under pressure for the last few days, last few games. And if it means long ball tactic like Big Jack, although Big Big Jack never said it was long ball tactic. He said it was fast <laughs> passing through the air. I think that's fast what he called it. Fast passing through the air. Um, was, the, uh, was, was what he used to call it. But if, if Villa can do that, I think we can all be happy. And um, look, if you can take a team, as they say, around for the rejects, well, that's that's actually very unfair because there were a lot of talented footballers in that Irish team. But you know, there were talented footballers at at, at maybe smaller clubs at that time or bigger clubs yeah. to be at that time, should I say? And Jack took them and uh, and, and molded them into something and played to their strengths. But uh, yeah, as I say, he's gone, but will not be forgotten around these parts for a long, long time. So that's going to wrap up the show for us today. Um, as always, guys. You can find us on. Actually, I've changed my Twitter handle. What is it? Um, it's Love McGrath Pod. So yeah, a lot of people have reached out to me and said, "Jesus, I can never remember when I'm telling people what your podcast is called." And I used to say, "It's at Mac for the love of." And they went, "I'm still not going to remember. Can you ever change what the handle is?" So we've changed it, and it's at Love McGrath Pod. Nice and easy. So if you know of anybody who's been trying to find us and can't find us, that's all they need to type in at Love. McGrath pod you can find Paddy on um, at Villa Paddy 
And as always, guys, we're on all social media. You can find us there as well. We'd love to interact and to chat to you guys. And as I say, when you're when the pubs start to open up and stuff like that, rob your friend's phone and subscribe him to the podcast. No harm done. And he'll thank you for it, or she will thank you for it in the long run as well. So uh, very important week coming up, very important game coming up on Thursday for the Villa. And here's hoping to a win for, for a win so that we can keep the pressure on um, our the teams above us and we can retain our Premier League status. So all that's left to say is until Thursday, guys, up the Villa. Up the Villa. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.